Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast brought to you today by Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm Julia Gerlach, Executive Editor of No-Till Farmer. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Farm Equipment for sponsoring today's episode. Yetter Farm Equipment has been providing farmers with solutions since 1930. Today, Yetter is your answer for finding the tools and equipment you need to face today's production agriculture demands. The Yetter lineup includes a wide range of planter attachments for different planting conditions, several equipment options for fertilizer placement, and products that meet harvest time challenges. Yetter delivers a return on investment and equipment that meets your needs and maximizes inputs. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O dot com. Regenerative farming practices like no-till, cover crops, and livestock integration are catching on and not just amongst farmers. Companies including Walmart, General Mills, and Wrangler, to name just a few, are looking to source products and materials that were raised using regenerative farming practices. While many studies have shown that these practices can benefit the soil, and soil tests can show whether certain indicators are improving or not, there's not always agreement about what regenerative means, nor has there been a test that can objectively show whether a given farmer's soil is actually being regenerated. Until now, that is. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Yetter Farm Equipment, we talk with Russell Hedrick and Liz Haney of Soil Regen, the consultancy behind a trio of new labels, Regeneratively Grown, Regenerative Certified, and Regenerative Verified. Join us to hear what's behind the new labeling and how farmers who qualify to use them can get paid premiums for the products they grow. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Wondering if you could just quick give us a little bit of an introduction of yourselves, uh, your backgrounds, and um, how you came to be working together. Yeah, I'll start. So uh, I'm Russell Hedrick. Um, We farm here in North Carolina. We row crop predominantly. We do livestock as well. Uh, We started using the Haney test in 2013. Um, That's how I actually got introduced to to Rick Haney and and then also Liz. I went down to Texas to see the the lab and, and how the Haney test was ran and it's, it's really just became, uh, you know, a friendship from there working with Liz and Rick quite a bit. And then this last summer, uh, we started to look at revamping soil regen. So I partnered with Liz and we're running soil regen together among other businesses that we're, we're building to help farmers with marketing more regenerative type grains or farm products like livestock or even stuff like honey, things that we can help farmers, you know, receive a higher value on. Okay, great. And Liz, what about you? Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a first-generation soil scientist. I do everything from soil nerd stuff to marketing to data analysis to accounting to farmer wrangling. I use biological intelligence, a.k.a. BI programming, in all aspects of my work. I've also been known to use that uncommon sense from time to time. Okay, Maybe you can just give us a little more background on soil regen as well. How long has that been going and what's the focus been and where are you going with it now? Yeah, I started it in 2019 um, and then just as a small educational uh, event planning for soil health and then some consulting services as well. And I also do Haney test interpretations. I had to put it on hold for quite a while 
went, I went to work for the corporate world. And so did that corporate stuff for about 18 months. I did a few events during that time, but not very many. I also used the platform to still do webinars and, and bring information to people. But I think it was August, well, this past summer, I uh, left the corporate world. And so we decided to to really ramp it up and, and, and get out there and start helping people. Okay. When you say the corporate world, you were working for Indigo Ag, right? Yeah. You mentioned starting it up in 2019. Of course, uh, COVID hit in 2020. So how did that affect your what you were working on? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, I, I guess somebody was looking out for me because 2019, I had two events and then let's see. No, I had one in 2019 and then one in like February, 2020. And so right after the February event, and I, I had still, I'd already started working for Indigo, but I still had these events in my contract that I was able to pull them off. But then we went on spring break and uh, let's see with my kids in March. And that's when they shut everything down. Oh. And so I really didn't have anything planned after that because I had already fulfilled my contract obligations you know, with people with soil region and then was just totally focusing on indigo ag. So okay. um, pulling off events would have not been possible at yeah. that point. So. Yeah, right. We're talking here today because you, uh, the two of you in your uh, capacity with soil regen are making a big announcement about you're introducing a process called Regenerative Verified and uh, wanted to have you guys talk about that. So we started looking at, you know, one of the issues you have, you can go and talk to a hundred different farmers. Every one of them is going to have a different definition of what regenerative farming means to them. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, it's, it's going to mean different things to different people. Where we saw a lot of confusion was on the consumer side. Oh. And if we as farmers are going to market a product and, and we're going to, to grow it in the best capacity that we can as farmers with, with consumer confusion, there's no way for market, you know, farmers to really capitalize on that market for the practices that we're adding extra to our operations. And so when we started, you know, region meals and heritage ground, one of the things we wanted to do was not only focus on farmer education, but also consumer education and trying to come up with a way to, to market that within that definition. And so we started looking at, are there ways that we can be non-biased and, and come up with a definition that, that fits that, that arena of regenerative agriculture without putting it inside of a box? We don't want to have this massive verification form, um, you know, like organic goes through to get certified and cost the farmer a lot of money and, and a lot of headaches. So we wanted to look at something that was simple, but yet stood on its own. And so we started looking at regenerative verified and we looked at regeneratively grown. So regeneratively grown is for um, like any protein based product, livestock, so, you know, there are difference in production practices between, you know, row crop and, and, uh, and animal livestock. So we tried to come up with something to at least help be different between those two that consumers could understand. One, that farmers were doing better practices. Two, that we're utilizing a testing method 
that is non-biased by a third party. And we, we look at both of those processes to determine if a farmer, if their soils are regenerative or not. And, you know, that's where um, Liz and Rick and, and Lance at Regen Ag Labs, um, I'll let Liz talk about that, but that's where we came up with the regenerative certified. Yeah, so it's a two-step process. And like Russell said, you know, we really want this to be non-biased. It's not uh, based on our uh, panel of experts or whoever judging whether someone is regenerative or not um, based on principles alone. So there's regenerative certified soil testing, and that's the first step. So a farmer can turn in a zero to six and a six to 12 inch sample uh, submitted to a certified lab. Right now, Region Ag Lab is the only certified lab that we have um, and go through a certification process. So they run soil tests on them and then there are a set of calculations that uh, Rick and Lance came up with to determine if the top six inches is being managed in a regenerative manner. And they can tell this based on uh, all sorts of different values, but it's not just a physical test, it's a biological test. So it really is determining whether you're improving the soil health and the soil biology in that top six inches um, where, you know, the management is impacting that zone the most. You know, a lot of this farmland was once the Great Plains or the High Plains. They had a really diverse, deep-rooted grass mixture with all sorts of forbs, and it had animal impact from bison, and, and all of that, you know, went way down, deep down into the soil. Mm-hmm. But we've been farming this stuff for a really long time, right? Yeah. So how do we tell what the potential of a soil is to store carbon at this point in time under our industrial agriculture system. And the way we do that is we have to look at the dynamic carbon in the soil. So there are functions that plants serve, there are functions that the fungal community serves, that the bacterial community serves to cycle carbon. Carbon is not just static. And everybody loves to just look at total soil organic matter and how that changes over time. But that doesn't tell you how you're impacting the system with your management practices. So we want to give farmers the control over their own data and their own management to know, you know, how am I affecting this dynamic living system, which directly impacts carbon storage in the soil, and how do we measure that? So long term, yes, we want to increase the carbon storage as deep as we possibly can but it's really dependent upon the processes that are happening in the zero to six or six to 12 inch zone. Gotcha. And so you use term that I wasn't really familiar with dynamic carbon. And are you suggesting that that is happening in that top six inches? Yes. And it happens um, below that as well, but the way that, that the carbon cycle works, you know, a lot of it with the, the bacterial population and the fungal community, that all depends on oxygen. So the deeper you go, the less oxygen you're going to have in the soil. Mm-hmm. And those microbial processes aren't going to be as active the lower you get. Mm-hmm. So where the game's really played with the way that carbon cycles in the soil is going to be in that top six inches. And depending on your soil type, it might go down deeper. 
With a quick phone call to Regen Ag Labs in Pleasanton, Nebraska, I got a few more details about the Regenerative Certified Soil Test from none other than Lance Gunderson. Right now, the way the process works is we're running a 0 to 6 inch sample and a 6 to 12 inch sample from the same field. And your 0 to 6 is scored against the 6 to 12. So this, the 6 to 12 serves as your baseline. And that, you know, that does a couple of things. So number one, yes, we know we can influence the 6 to 12 inch zone through regenerative practices. However, the 6 to 12 is not going to increase in soil health metrics as quickly as the 0 to 6. And so what we're doing then is, and we're not using the soil health score, it's, it's a it's around 10 independent measurements that go into this, including organic matter, water-soluble carbon, organic in, respiration, a lot of the metrics on the Haney test, but looking to, at them as individuals. And so we built an algorithm that basically we had around 400 samples, um, well, 800 because they were in pairs, right? Okay. So four, 400 samples comprising probably 18 different states across the Midwest right now, um, okay. mostly the Midwest, High Plains, some from the Southeast, but we know the management history of those farms. So these are a lot of people, a lot of these samples came off farms that people know, like Gay Brown, right? So we know the management history of these farms, and what we did is we, we ran the tests and collected all this data and then built an algorithm around that to come up with what is considered a regenerative line. And, and if, you, if you're above that line, your soil is deemed regenerative, and if you're below that line, um, it is not. And we're gonna use that information, so on the backwards flow of data, you say, okay, your farm is not regenerative, yet here are the areas of focus that are holding you back. So it's these indicators that are causing you the biggest trouble. And then, and then working with somebody like Liz and Russell and their group, they are going to provide some of the boots on the ground type of information to help guide those producers to actually take that information, that data, and put it to practice. The other side of it is that we're going to take that data or that, ver that certification. So the laboratory is doing a certification. We're saying it's Regen Ag Lab certified, meaning we ran it through this process, we ran the calculations, and that's just one step of, of Liz and Russell's verification process. But we want to take that information, and again, with producers' permission, put this into third-party companies that are seeking out regenerative farms. So, for example, Nestle, General Mills, Anheuser-Busch, Walmart, all of these companies keep saying, hey, we're interested in, in procuring regenerative products. We want this. So creating a database to say, okay, these are the growers that are coming back certified regenerative or verified, and now you can start to source those products. And, and there's obviously many companies out there that are trying to build out this market chain supply.
So we know that's happening, but the big question they keep coming up with was, well, how do you define regenerative? And I always say, well, how do you define human health? Yeah, right. Uh, what, how much, you know, how many calories a day should I eat? Well, yeah, you've got a general definition, 2,000 a day. But on an individual basis, you know, the doctor's going to ask you a lot of questions, right? Age, height, sex, weight, you know, all that stuff, activity level. So we are we are defining this on an individual farm basis. So the nice thing about it is with the zero to six, six to 12, you are scored against yourself, not your neighbor, not the county, not the region. So when somebody says, well, it'll work there, but it won't work here. I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, no, it'll work here. Your management practices might be a little different. So if you, if somebody tells me, well, I'm not going to integrate livestock because we're just not set up for that. And nobody around us has livestock. That's okay. You you know, Dave Brandt did that. And he never integrated livestock, but he's still regenerative by that definition. So we're leaving that part open-ended. And I think for the verification process is that you just have to follow at least one of the soil health principles. Okay. So you can choose to be 100% no-till and say, okay, that's one of the soil health principles. But if we test your soil and your corn bean oscillation on 30-year no-till does not score regenerative, and I will tell you most of them won't, then you're not getting the verification because you're not truly regenerative in that sense. And so that's kind of the the big scope. We're not changing the Haney test. We're not adding new measurements to it. We're not changing any of that. These are just additional calculations that should you request to have a regen verification on your farm the only thing you're required to do as a producer is submit a 0 to 6 and a 6 to 12. Now let's get back to Russell and Liz to find out what happens after the soil test results come back. Let's talk more about the process. So the the farmer will pull their their two tests and send them in. And then if they pass the laboratory test, then at that point, they would be considered regenerative certified. Certified, okay. Um, yeah, and that's that's the name of the test. The re, it's a region certified test. And what Rick and Lance were able to do is they established a a benchmark that over you you know utilizing their their process, the benchmark was set that you had to you know receive a certain score between those two tests and the ground had to be performing in a regenerative fashion to a certain benchmark. And then if it's above that benchmark, then they'll give the certification. If it's not above that benchmark, then you don't get the certified, which means there's no reason to really go through the second process. So we're trying to eliminate farmers doing more work than necessary. Like if we would have reversed this role, we would have done a lot of verifications before we did the testing. And then, Hey, if you fail the test, there's, you know, then at that point, the process stops. So, you know, we decided to do the testing first. And then if, if they pass the testing and get regen certified, then we move on to the verification. And the only thing we're doing is we're verifying regenerative practices, mob grazing, cover crops, you know, reduced tillage or no till, and, and we're looking at the, the key principles, the soil health principles, and how they relate to regenerative practices. And we're verifying that farmers are doing these practices, and we're doing the testing in between the verification of practices 
and there's there's a lot of different ways that we can do that verification. We can use satellite imagery. There's companies that we've talked with to do satellite imagery, um, drone footage. If we wanted to do drone imagery, we can do field visits. We're not trying to do like a carbon program where there's massive amounts of paperwork, but if a farmer has, you know, receipts for their cover crop seed, or if they reported where they planted their cover crops, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that are easy for us to verify that they're using these regenerative practices that don't cost a lot of money. And they don't need to necessarily be part of any particular program, you know, the field works comes to mind or uh, they don't have to have a special app or anything that they're downloading. You're, you're kind of taking their records as they have them. Yeah, we're essentially taking their records or, you know, the imagery side of it or even a field visit and, and making this as easy and, and as streamlined as we can so that we have proof of the verification. We have proof of the test and the certification. And if they pass both of those, then they would be considered regenerative verified. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, they can use we've we've essentially made a printout that farmers can then use on the consumer education side that we talked about in the beginning to say, you know, this is the practices that we're using. This is the process that we went through. We have verified our regenerative practices. We went through the regenerative certification test with, with Regen Ag Labs. And um, this is our label that we're using on our products now. And it's, it's something that, that gives them the power to have something that we think the consumer will be able to relate to and, and understand how their food's being grown a little bit better than having so many different definitions of, of what these, of what these practices mean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'd like to just back up a little bit, go back to the soil testing for a second. So the soil test is they just need to do one soil test for their entire farm, or is there a, a certain amount of acreage that they're testing? And then what also is the cost for the farmer for that testing? So we're doing this in field management. So it's not a farmer goes and pulls, you know, a 50 acre sample on just one single farm and they may have 50 different farms. We're certifying the, the grain or the livestock that are being produced on that particular field. Um, so say it's a 50 acre field and the farmer pulls these two samples and sends them into the lab on that 50 acres the farmer would pay $50 for each test and their cost there would be $100 for that 50 acres. And then the verification forms will, will vary. Like I said, if we used um, drone imagery or satellite imagery, or if we did a field visit, um, there's, there's going to be a different cost for that. But as of right now, we believe it's going to be somewhere around about $4 an acre. So it would cost the farmer about $200 to work in in that specific 50 acres. So something you said made me wonder also, are you testing the actual grain or the meat or the products or whatever it is that is coming off the fields at any point? You know, Julia, one of the problems that we see in, just let's talk about grain testing. Do we know that grain grown on regenerative, you know, farms that are using regenerative practices, do we see that they're more nutrient dense? Yes. The problem is nobody has a standard right now of even what nutrients are we going to test for? Um, Is it vitamin C? Is it vitamin D? Are we testing for beta carotenes? And, you know, one farmer, it goes back to this regenerative uh, process. 
one farmer may say that they have uh, a higher nutrient density in their grain and another farmer says the same thing and it can be two different sets of nutrients and one of them may have you know consumer health implications and one of them may not so it's taking us um it's taking us a little bit of time to further develop um the process on how we would test meat how we would test grain and even what we would test for to show the consumer why it has better health implications versus making a blanket statement saying it's more nutrient dense. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but we've tried to to simplify and streamline it the best we can for farmers not to have a, a headache in this process and for people to really have a general understanding of of what we're doing. And I'm glad we've got the the Haney's and Lance uh, that that are able to actually put a lot of this scientific stuff together for for producers to use. We'll get back to Russell Hedrick and Liz Haney in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for supporting today's episode. Yetter Farm Equipment has been providing farmers with solutions since 1930. Today, Yetter is your answer for finding the tools and equipment you need to face today's production agriculture demands. The Yetter lineup includes a wide range of planter attachments for different planting conditions, several equipment options for fertilizer placement, and products that meet harvest time challenges. Yetter delivers a return on investment and equipment that meets your needs and maximizes inputs. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Here are Russell Hedrick and Liz Haney one more time. So can you just talk me through an example of a process for a farmer you know, how long it took for the farmer to do what they needed to do, how long it took for the testing and the sort of results did the farmer see? Was it what they expected? Were there any surprises along the way? Can you give just sort of a, a an example of that? So we, we had a farmer in Kansas that wanted to go through the, the verification process and, you know, to give a timeline, you know, day one, the farmer pulled um, their there are two different soil samples, the zero to six and the six to 12, um, after contacting us and saying they wanted to start it. So we said, you know, first thing, start with the test. Once you send your test off, contact us and, and we'll start the process. Um, the farmer pulled their samples, sent them to Regen Ag Labs. During the time that the samples were going to the lab and they were being tested at the lab, it was basic conversations with the farmer. What regenerative practices are you doing? Um, do you have um, evidence of them, seed tags, cover crop receipts? Um, you know, did you do variable rate fertilizer for reduction in nitrogen fertilizers? Just different, different practices. Did they integrate livestock and, and, and have livestock on that ground? Did they do mob grazing if they did um, or rotational grazing? And while the test was being ran, we can simply get their information they got their certification from Regen Ag Labs um, that they were regenerative certified by the standards of the test. And then we actually went and did, finished out the verification process with the farmer um, with getting their information and, and their side of the, of the equation in step two. I would say what Liz, beginning to end, maybe five days total. And, I'm, and, it's, and it's not a, a lot of time in those five days, but just from the time they, they pulled the sample, sent them to the lab, got their test back in maybe 
a couple hours on the phone with us and, and emailing back and forth, we were able to verify their information um, and, and get all their stuff entered into the system to where it's, it's not a very long process or, or something that's of a huge time constraint to farmers. Hmm. Well, that's pretty cool. So I'm curious then with the results of that particular farmer, I'm assuming that the tests came back. Yes, it was regenerative and they're able to start using that label. What is the benefit to, to this farmer then to be able to start using that label? So the, the particular benefit to that farmer is they had a barley that was intended for malting quality. And they had already been given a price on what they would be paid for their malt and or, or their, their barley for malt. After going through the verification process and, and, and being verified, you know, being regenerative verified, that farmer was able to say, look, I went through these steps as a farmer. I can say that my ground is regenerative. Um, they were able to work with the malt house and say, you know, this is the process I used. This is the verification I received. And that farmer ultimately got about 30% more uh, for their crop than what they were going to previously. And 30% is a, is a pretty large deal. I mean, even, even 10 or 15%. And it's going to vary depending on what the crop is. Um, but for that particular farmer we were talking about, it was, it was a 30% increase in price. And that's, that's easy to do when it's, it's not a lot of, of, of money and paperwork involved to really go through this process. It's, we've tried, like I said, we've tried to streamline it. Mm -hmm. And for them to receive that made, made a fairly large deal for them on their operation. Yeah. So you guys are obviously working with a lot of buyers of products and stuff. I mean, how widely understood is this concept, people who are buying the products? As climate change and these carbon markets and, and some of that stuff is now starting to become the, the normal that you're seeing in either magazines or publications, um, I think they're becoming more educated on it. and they understand the markets, but they don't understand how we as farmers influence that. And I think having this testing and, and this process really gives them a way to see that this is the practices that a farmer did. And these are the outcomes and how the soil was affected and how the climate was affected. And, and it really kind of starts to tie the two together that it, it makes it understandable for people outside of agriculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting is that, um, you know, most people understand water quality issues, right? Especially if they're in states where it's, it, they've had huge problems. Um, so once we make the connection between the farming practices and the improvements on water quality and not just soil health, they can connect the dots and they get the whole picture. And And like Russell said, you know, there are, with the climate change issues now, and especially being in politics so much now, people are really starting to pay attention. They're understanding the sustainable practices more. So. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that this, all of this labeling is pretty much just getting started, but I'm kind of curious. Uh, you mentioned barley, malting barley. What other types of crops or end products have you been working with so far? Where will we be seeing these labels? So we've been um, we've been doing verification since last summer. Okay. And it could be on 
a corn crop that is, you know, meant to be ground up into grits and cornmeal, small grain that could be ground up into flour, um, honey. Uh, we've got people that make like homemade tallow and soaps that are using it on that as well. Uh, beef production, anything, um, you know, livestock we've got, like I said, we've got the one process for doing, you know, grain types, um, or, or farm products. And then one for protein products. So regeneratively grown, um, would be the labeling on protein products if they pass the, re the regenerative verification. So, um, anything from hamburger and steaks to pork, chicken, poultry, lamb. So, I mean, we're trying to give even the livestock industry to have a way to, to really put a, a way for their consumers to understand this as well, not just grains. Have there been any surprises like you are testing soil from a farm that you know they're doing all these great practices, but then the test comes back and says it's not regenerative? Absolutely. Okay. On mine. On yours. On, on mine, Julia. <laughs> um, you know, we, we had a farm that we thought that we had done really well with. Um, it, it, it was, I will say this, when we bought this farm, it was very degraded. Um, heavy, heavy amounts of, of tillage and some specialty crops that were grown on it. So we knew we were kind of starting out at ground zero. But I really thought by now that on our operation that we had got that ground and it would be regenerative. And when we tested it, we were right below the benchmark. And I mean, we weren't very far below it, but we were still below it. So we actually did not get the region certified or region verification on that operation on that specific farm. But yeah, I mean, for me to, to have a farm that failed, I guess to me validated it saying that, you know, even though I'm doing these practices, even though I'm getting it in the right direction, it didn't fail by much, but the, the test still showed that it failed. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so interesting. Well, it, well, it kind of hurt. It hurt my pride a little bit um, <laughs> to think that, you know, we, we, we still have farms that, that still need work. And that just means that I'm going to push that ground a little bit harder than maybe some of the other ones this coming season and see if we can still push it in the right direction. Um, and then you mentioned honey, and I'm just really curious, how are you looking at regenerative practices regarding honey? So we're, we're really looking at where, where are the bees being located? Is it in a, you know, something like a, an annual strip around crop fields where they're doing, say, a, a regenerative type grain, um, where they're doing regenerative certification for crops, but they may put pollinator strips in and and be able to use pollinator strips inside of inside of crop ground even inside of of livestock management just different ways for them to to look at it than just to say a commercial honey outfit that's feeding sugar waters to, you know sugar water to bees okay gotcha so i guess before i turn it back over to you for any final thoughts you had mentioned regen mills and heritage ground and of course I know what that is, and some people who are listening might know what that is, but um, do you mind just giving us a quick mention of what those two things are, Regen Mills and Heritage Ground? Yeah, absolutely. Regen Mills is a mobile mill that we've built that can grind grits, cornmeal, corn flour. We can grind small grain for flours, even do gluten freeze with like buckwheats, millets, and our mill can travel to your farm. We run on single phase power. So as long as you've got a power source we can reach within 200 feet, we can help producers 
grind their their grains for them to be able to market and and actually see a higher income than say going into the standard commodity elevator and heritage ground is is a community effort between you know 15 20 farmers right now that we all decided to to work together and and build one brand that consumers could recognize that you know regenerative farmers are making products now consumer products where we're doing grits cornmeal flour we're making um products ready to use like pancake mixes cookie and cake mixes um different different packages that they can simply add water and, and be able to to make food out of we've essentially built an e-commerce site that farmers that join heritage ground can then have a place to to market our website is, is heritageground.com it is up and running it's still under maintenance we're still getting everything you know prettied up is the best way i know how to say it but it's it's definitely they're able to contact us and and see what farmers have and as that continues to grow and, and our e-commerce um, is up and running, it's 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 going to be a good way for farmers to see a higher higher net return. Okay. Well, and then one other thing, uh, I finally at the uh, National No-Till Conference uh, in Louisville, I got to taste your um, your special bourbon that you're making, and it's got regenerative verified label, I believe. Can you talk about your bourbon? Yeah, um, so we are starting up a farmer-owned and led distillery. Um, the new distillery is going to be called Farmers Reserve Distillery. Anybody in production ag or anyone that supports production ag, whether it be um, awesome people at a national no-till magazine, all the way to extension workers or people that may work at a co-op that you know help with production, we are opening it up to them to invest in the company if they want to, or simply they can buy bourbon and support farmers. And I would say one of our most popular ones, um, the one that you had at, in Louisville was called the Bourbon of Legends. And when, uh, when, when Rick retired from USDA back in June of last year, uh, we decided to make a label and a, and a new flavor for a retirement present for Rick. And um, we always called Rick the legend. And uh, that's how we came up with the Bourbon of Legends. And that's that was kind of like our farmer tribute to him that uh, we appreciated the hard work that the Haney's have done for us as farmers to, to be more profitable. So um, our website is currently being built and we're hoping to be distilling in North Carolina, Iowa and potentially even in Texas. And uh, we're looking to to do a full release, hopefully sometime between summer to fall of this year. And that's, I think it's going to be fun. I think uh, we've, we've got several different bourbons and whiskeys and vodkas and moonshines that, um, that are made from, from really good products that are, that are grown from farmers here in, in the U.S. Very nice. And I, I have to add that uh, I did really like the tagline on there, the bacon of bourbon. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah, Liz, Liz came up with that. Um, there's, there's been so many people that say they don't like bourbon or don't drink bourbon. And when they try it, they, they typically ask for, for another pour. It was quite tasty, I will say, and I'm not really a bourbon drinker, despite what Lauren Steinlogge says. <laughs> <laughs> I was not either. That's, that's where that came from. <laughs> it's the gateway bourbon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, this has been great, you guys. Anything else you wanted to add? I mean, I would just say if people want to uh, learn more about the process, they can come to our website at agsoulregion.com and uh, we've got our information up there, just brief information, or if anybody wants more detailed information, they can get a hold of me or Liz, and, and we'd be glad to 
to work with producers and, and try to push this as forward as we can. Thanks to Russell Hedrick, Liz Haney, and Lance Gunderson for this explanation of the regeneratively grown, regenerative certified, and regenerative verified labels. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessonermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at Mental Farmer, I'm Julia Gerlach. Thanks for tuning in.